Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When she was 17, an almost fatal car accident left her paralyzed. The recovery was long and hard, and for two agonizing years, she fought her way back to walking again. Her first love was sailing, and eventually she became a professional sailor. But later, this first love became secondary to a daughter she named Marie, who she truly loved and adored and nothing else mattered. But the sport of sailing was too loud to ignore. By 1989, at 32 years old, she competed with a group on board the Charles Jordan in the Whitbread Round the World race. The same year, she recorded a duet song called Flow about sailing. In 1990, she set a new world record for the fastest solo crossing in the North Atlantic for a full two days ahead. Her talent and skills were compared to none, as she was the best. And her generosity and passion showed as she took part in a campaign to stop killing whales in the Faroes. In 2009, at 52 years old, she published an autobiography documenting her life thus far. In 2011, at 54 years old, she managed to save her own life when she accidentally fell overboard her sailboat while alone somewhere around the coast of Corsica. But in 2015, at 58 years old, despite all the accomplishments and skills and barriers that this amazing woman has shown the world, a preventable tragedy will ruin a life that made this world a better place. You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about untimely fatalities in earlier or recent history that resulted in damages from its wake. I'm your host, Lynn. Let's face it, reality TV can be addicting. You, the viewer, are given an intimate, although heavily scripted, look into the lives of different people. Some reality TV shows are fun to watch, like The Amazing Race or Dancing with the Stars, while some are a bit gruesome, like Fear Factor. But an added layer of curiosity can make reality TV into a must-watch. Just add famous people. In this episode of Untimely, we'll go back to 2015, where we'll learn about what happens when a reality TV show becomes something hard to watch. Survivor is one of the oldest reality television shows that I know. Most of you may know that the concept of Survivor originated from a series called Expedition Robinson in the late 1990s. Season 1 of the show Survivor was aired in the United States in 2000, 
Once Richard Hatch was the only one left standing, the nation was hooked for more quote-unquote reality shows. With its popularity, over 50 other countries adopted the TV series and had their own unique survivor shows and produced by several companies all over the globe. Adventure Line Productions was one of these companies that made their mark in France. True to its name, ALP creates and produces adventure-themed shows where contestants can win a lot of money by using their physical prowess, intelligence, and soft skills. One of these shows is Colanta, similar to Survivor that is still in production to this day. But as these types of shows become more and more commonplace, production companies tend to push limits further and further to satisfy the public's hunger for reality TV to the point where it becomes dangerous and plain ridiculous. It doesn't matter, though, since many will continue to support these shows, especially when it is controversial. In 2014, the reality show Det Storsa Aventiret was released in Sweden. I would like to apologize to my Swedish friends if I bungled that pronunciation, but the title was translated to English as Dropped. The success of the show got the attention of Adventure Line Productions and in no time started brainstorming and planning to bring this series to France. The plan is to begin production in the first half of 2015 and release the show later in the year. So what sparked the interest of ALP to, with this show in particular? To understand, let's take a look at what this show is all about. That Storsta Aventuret is Swedish for the biggest adventure. At the beginning of the show... Two teams of about four or five people are selected. One team is red and the other blue. In each episode, team members arrive in a clearing where the host and two helicopters with pilots are, of course, waiting. The teams hop aboard each one and given blindfolds to put on. The teams are then transported to a remote location and dropped off and left to fend for themselves. The goal for each team is to reach a town or destination within 72 hours where they can charge a mobile phone and inform the host of their success, then get the next set of instructions. The losing team will have to compete with each other through various skills or tests, like starting a fire from scratch, and the team member who loses is knocked out of the contest. Once the teams are down to two each, the battle then becomes an individual competition vying for the title of Adventurer of the Year. In this final competition, the remaining players are awarded or deducted points where the one with the most points wins the prize. What elevates this show, among others, is that contestants are all athletes. Most of them are Olympic winners or champions considered at the top of their sport. It makes watching the adventure even more interesting. So after the success of Season 1, ALP took this concept to France and recruited athletes who will be the first contestants of Dropped. The commercial for the TV show used this tagline, Two teams are dropped into the middle of nowhere. No food, no map, no help. And with that, production began. ALP recruited the following athletes to star in the first season of Dropped, scheduled to start filming in late February 2015. Sylvain Wiltard was 45 years old at that time. He is best known as a professional footballer who participated in the Olympics as well as the World Cup. Wiltard also played four seasons in the Premier League as a forward for the Arsenal Football Club. 
Florence Arthod was 58 and a record-breaking yachtswoman. Her nickname was the Little Fiancé of the Atlantic. Arthod broke gender barriers in the maritime sports world, having successfully sailed across the Atlantic by herself. Elaine Bernard was 32 then, but already a champion swimmer. He became a household name in France during the 2008 and 2012 Summer Olympics, winning a total of four medals in Beijing and London, respectively. Philippe Candeloro was 43 and a former competitive figure skater. He started skating at four years old. Although he suffered a broken leg early in his career, Candeloro won two Olympic medals in the Winter Games in Lillehammer and Nagano. Alexis Vastine was 28 at that time and competed in boxing. At age 18, he started his career as a lightweight in the Junior World Championship. In the 2008 Olympics, Vastine won a bronze medal participating in the light welterweight division. Jeannie Longo was 57 then. She was once hailed as the greatest female cyclist in France, having won 25 times in France and 14 times in the World Championships. Before her cycling career, Longo was a downhill skier and won while she was in university. Camille Moffat was 25 at that time. Moffat mastered the freestyle and participated in medleys while breaking swimming records. In the 2012 London Olympics, Moffat won a gold, a silver, and a bronze for France. Finally, Anne-Fleur Marxer was born in Switzerland but competed in France. She was a winning snowboarder, having learned the sport the moment she could walk. In 2012, Markser won the Freeride World Tour for snowboarding. The seven athletes were teamed as follows. One team was Wiltard, Arthod, Vestine, and Mufat, and the other was Longo, Candeloro, Markser, and Bernard. The first episode was filmed in a remote location in Argentina, somewhere in Patagonia. The production staff, camera crew, and the athletes arrived at the starting point and the contest went on its way. There, the contests were grouped in two teams, red and blue, and made their way to their destination. In this episode, the final goal was to reach the city of Ushua, the capital of the Tierra del Fuego archipelago located at the southern tip of Argentina. At the end of filming the first episode, professional footballer Sylvain Wilterd was knocked out of the competition. Wiltard eventually returned to France after his loss. Vastine, Arthod, and Moffat were left of their team while the other team of four remained intact. On Sunday, March 8th, the crew and athletes were in the next location for Episode 2, somewhere in the La Rioja, a province in the northwest region of Argentina. The area is known as Villa Castelli, a small town around 730 miles or 1170 kilometers northwest of Buenos Aires. Villa Castelli is at the foothills of the Andes Mountains. This location was previously used by the Danish and Swiss versions of Dropped. The next day, March 9th, Episode 2 was scheduled to start filming. Two local pilots, Juan Carlos Castillo and Roberto Abarte, was hired by the production crew to fly the helicopters. The pilots were well-experienced and have over 8,000 hours of flight time between the two of them. Both pilots had up-to-date operating licenses and medical certificates. 
One helicopter was leased from the La Rioja government and the other from the neighboring town of Santiago del Estoro. The helicopters, manufactured as Eurocopter Squirrels, were reasonably new, built in 2010 and 2012, used as light utility transport. Each had six available seats, including the pilot. The production crew was preparing for the day's filming and the contestants were doing the same. The plan was to take both helicopters to the remote site. The purpose of the first helicopter was to film the second one while it transports the contestants to introduce the episode. The pilots were given instructions to lift off one after the other so the first helicopter can get a clear shot of the second as it ascends from the ground. Once up in the air, the helicopters will need to stay close to one another, again to get a good shot of the contestants from the outside, and make a 360-degree turn toward the direction of the remote site. The final and primary instruction was to fly low to the ground. This directive was to allow the camera to have aerial shots of the helicopter with the contestants while using the terrain as background. On that day, the weather cooperated for filming. Initially, the filming was supposed to start at 3 o'clock local time, but producers felt that the natural light was not at its best. The schedule was then moved two hours later. By that time, the sky was bright blue and the sun was to the west, and the wind was optimal for flying using VFR or visual flight rules. However, due to the isolated area of the clearing, there were no immediately available reference points or markers for the pilots to use. There was no air traffic control clearance or oversight to give guidance to the pilots. But since both pilots were locals and familiar with the area, they were able to consult with one another and with the producers and agreed on the flight path. It was a little under 32 Celsius or 89 degrees Fahrenheit, with the wind speed at 25 knots or about 29 miles per hour and 45% humidity. The first helicopter, with the call sign LQ-FJQ, was carrying four crew members, director Laurent Sbasnik, journalist Lucie May Dalby, producer Valonia Guinard, on-set medical doctor Edward Gillis, and the pilot. The second helicopter, with call sign LQCGK, carried the three team members of Vestine, Mufat, and Arthod, accompanied by cameraman Bryce Gilbert and the pilot. This was the first wave of filming the episode, where the contestants are shown to be blindfolded while being transported to the remote location to start the adventure. The plan was to drop off the first team, then the helicopters will go back to Villa Castelli and pick up the second team of Bernard, Candeloro, Markser, and Longo, and crew members for their turn. Then, back again for the rest of the crew. While waiting for their turn, the other production staff and contestants were gathered near the lift off-site as they got themselves ready. A few had their phones out, documenting their time on the ground. Some of the townspeople of Villa Castelli was also in the area watching the filming that was going on. At around 5.15 p.m., both helicopters fired up their main rotors and readied for its ascent. The speed of the blades from both the main rotors on the top and the rear stirred the dust in the air, almost covering the helicopters, making it invisible, if not for the loud noises. The doors to both helicopters were wide open to allow for the cameras to film both helicopters. Everyone on board closed their eyes away from the dust and dirt. What happens next was caught in at least two cell phone videos. These videos will be used in the investigation that will happen later. 
The two helicopters can be seen a little above the tree line against white clouds and blue skies. FJQ was slightly ahead and shortly above CGK, both helicopters moving at the same speed. FJQ was moving towards the right, with CGK following not too far behind. The helicopters somewhat disappear behind a tall tree, but the sound of the blades can still be heard. As the two appear back at the horizon again, it looked like CGK increased its speed, and then it was increasing its elevation. And in a matter of seconds, CGK was speeding closer and closer to FJQ and then collided with one another, followed by a loud boom. The loud crash echoed through the small town in pillars of fire and smoke, disturbed the blue skies of Villa Castelli. After realizing what happened, some of the production staff and members of the community scrambled toward the crash site. Those who were first on the scene looked for anyone they can save and move away from the fire. One look at the wreckage. One by one, they thought there was no way anyone could survive this devastating crash. Unfortunately, they were right. The mid-air collision of both helicopters caused the deaths of everyone on board. All 10 died on impact. Police arrived at the scene 20 minutes after the crash and helped secure the site of the accident. The remaining crew and contestants were at a loss for words. This tragedy was completely unexpected and caused a wave of sadness and terror for everyone involved in the production. When the smoke cleared and fires from the explosion were extinguished entirely, the JIAAC, or Civil Aviation Accident Investigation Board, which is the official investigator from the Argentine government, documented the crash site for further analysis. From France, the Bureau of Inquiry and Analysis for Civil Aviation Safety also assisted since French nationals were on board the helicopters and involved in the production. Representatives from the manufacturer of the helicopters Airbus was also on site, as well as the head of Aviation Provincial Administration of the province of La Rioja to assess the damages. The investigation of how the two helicopters crashed was studied carefully by the JIAAC. The final report was based on hours on the field, photos, the two cell phone videos, and interviews with the production staff, contestants, and all other witnesses on the ground. There's one thing missing in each helicopter that could have helped the investigation. Usually, the flight recorder, or black box, is recovered in any type of collision. In the case of these two helicopters, there were no flight recorders on board since it was not a requirement under the specific certifications needed. Both French and Argentine aviation and forensic investigators carefully untangled the mess. The report stated, both helicopters were completely demolished with little to work with. Only the main rotors from each helicopter remained. The final crash sites of both helicopters were only 46 meters or 150 feet from one another. CGK crashed near a row of trees while FJQ crashed on the field. The bodies inside were so severely burned that forensic investigators had to use dental records and x-rays to identify individuals from each helicopter. To describe the aerial paths of each helicopter and how the collision happened, several diagrams were drawn. I will try to explain the diagram that shows an aerial view of the crash. If you remember, the plan was to make a 360-degree turn before going straight to the location. 
In reality, it's more of a really wide U-turn. I'd like you to imagine the face of the clock, and I will use the hours on the clock to describe where the helicopters were as it ascended and turned. The helicopters were initially on the ground at the 5 o'clock mark, facing about 10 degrees to the right. Helicopter FJQ, the one carrying only production crew, was on the right, and CGK, the one with the contestants, is to the left. The first to take off was FJQ, with a pilot and a staff member in the front and three in the main cabin. FJQ made its ascent towards the 4 o'clock mark with a speed of 70 knots and climbed up around 85 meters or 279 feet. 45 seconds later, helicopter CGK, the one carrying the contestants, took off following near but behind FJQ. CGK was flying 15 meters below. This difference in vertical height was so FJQ can get great shots of the contestants and the flight path. At 50 seconds, above the 1 o'clock mark, FJQ turned slightly to the left while decreasing its speed but maintaining its height. FJQ kept a short distance of 90 meters from CGK, which at this point also made a slight left turn. At 75 seconds, above the 11 o'clock mark, FJQ used the same maneuver, turning slightly left and once again decreasing its speed, but maintaining the same distance from CGK. Both helicopters are now facing the opposite way from their original positions on the ground. At 90 seconds, because of the decrease in speed, FJQ made a sharp increase in speed and elevation, while CGK maintained the same radius speed and height. At 94 seconds, above the 9 o'clock mark, FJQ, realizing that its turning curve was slightly off because of its sudden change in speed and elevation, increased its bank to the left and subsequently collided with CGK. At 100 seconds, the main rotors of FJQ and CGK made contact and both helicopters plummeted to the ground. The investigators gathered all the facts and evidence from the crash and analyzed 24 factors that could have led to the collision. Basically, the report listed what did and did not cause the accident. Let me mention the ones of interest. Among others, these were the non-contributing factors. There was no evidence of technical failures in both helicopters. Atmospheric conditions did not contribute, and both pilots did not have any medical emergencies or impairment. The contributing factors found include possible distractions, location of the helicopters in relation to the sun, and the low elevation. The investigators established their conclusion based on the contributing factors. First, helicopter FJQ's location in relation to CGK was outside the path and caused limited visual contact with CGK. Basically, because FJQ made a correction to their speed, elevation, and curve, it was in CGK's blind spot, and the pilot was not able to make the necessary evasive maneuvers to prevent collision. Next, there was no formal assessment of the safety risks for their flight operation. If you recall, other reality shows have used this location previously. Pilots from those instances were interviewed by the investigators and stated that production staff usually ask the pilots to either fly closer to the other helicopter to greater great shot or ask them to fly lower to the ground. 
Since there was no safety assessments or formal procedures of the flight operations and paths, pilots were left to get direction from the production staff on flying distance, speed, and elevation. Another is that the helicopters, even though they were owned by government agencies, had no support for any logistics or aerial maneuvers. In summary, here is a direct quote from the report. The triggering factor of the accident was according to the information obtained during the investigation and its analysis. The pilot's lack of perception of the closeness or the deficit in the separation between their respective aircraft. This lack of perception led to the air collision of the aircraft without attempting evasive or defensive maneuvers. The final report did provide recommendations to the aviation administrations for both the La Rioja province and the Argentine government. These recommendations were to be adopted immediately and updated regularly. 1. An operations manual will need to include guidelines for all flight activities, including purposes of film production, that have required safety measures and personal training. Also, additional standard procedures will need to be created and added in the operations manual for any special flight operations or non-standard flights. Six days after the tragic accident, the rest of the crew and contestants landed back in France. The presiding judge in Argentina allowed them to return to their country following the investigations. Their arrival was met with tears and sadness from their families and mostly kept out of the public eye. ALP completely halted the production of Dropped and per the company's CEO, the footage of any previous filming will, quote, never see the light of day, unquote. You may think, well, that's pretty admirable of ALP to stop its production given the horrific deaths that had occurred. But this is not the first time that ALP experienced tragedy at its helm. In 2013, 25-year-old Gerald Babine was in Cambodia filming the first challenge in ALP's other reality show called Colanta. The challenge was a tug-of-war between the two groups, and while it was happening, Babine started complaining of chest pains and cramps. Pierre Costa, the on-site medical doctor, treated Babine and eventually transported him to a nearby medical facility. But it was several hours in between the time Babine first complained of chest pains and when it was decided that he was to be brought to a medical facility. And somewhere between the remote location and the facility, Babine died. ALP issued a press release in response to Babine's death which stated that the cause of death is cardiac arrest and labeled as natural causes. But someone within the production staff allegedly leaked through an outside source that the director delayed Babine's treatment and transportation to a medical facility, which resulted in a preventable death. The controversy also names the doctor, Costa, as negligent. Due to this, Terry Costa committed suicide. In Costa's note, he mentions that the smearing of his name by the media for not doing enough to save Babine as his main reason for ending it all. Even with the deaths following Colanta, the show was not canceled. Only the season and production of Colanta continued in 2014. The Colanta incident, followed by the Villa Castelli accident, put a harsh spotlight on low-budget productions and a lack of safety regulations in filming of reality shows. ALP and other TV show productions have breached several safety risks in addition to labor laws. With the success of these types of shows and generating millions for its producers, 
production budgets are usually slashed in the name of profit. But items that are cut or decreased in the budget are what can be considered critical. Safety assessments, personal training, and quality assurance. These cuts led to preventable errors and opened the potential for tragedies. But despite all this, and controversies that surround reality TV shows, it remains a source of entertainment and dollars for many. One of the families sued ALP for the wrongful death of their loved one due to negligence, citing lack of proper training. A French court sided with the family and ordered ALP to pay 120,000 euros. Days after the mid-air collision, Sylvain Wiltor, who would have been on the helicopter with the rest of his team members if he would have won the challenge, tweeted, I'm sad for my friends. I'm trembling. I'm horrified. I have no words. I don't want to say anything. On March 25th, a joint funeral service for Camille Mouffat and Alexis Vestine were held in the Church of St. John the Baptiste in France. Five days later, Florence Arthaud, who was an inspiration to men and women alike, having broken many records and gender barriers, was laid to rest at St. Severin Church in Paris. Her daughter Marie was in attendance. The loss of Arthaud, Mouffat, and Vestine was met with immense sadness, not only to the people of France, but to the sporting world. For three days, the Olympic flags were flown at half-mast at the International Olympics Committee headquarters. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. As always, I would like to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Are reality TV shows worth the danger and potential suffering? Would you participate in one? Also, please don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to send us a note at untimelypodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're on Twitter, connect with us at untimelypodcast. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.